0: This is just a quick content warning to let our listeners know that today we're discussing white supremacy, the Confederacy, racism, and at about 30 minutes in, in the context of a historical Confederate speech, a racial slur is read aloud. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? bitch, bitch? I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names.
1: It's naughty to ruse your lips. Shake your shoulders, shake your hips. And let a lady confess I want to be there <laughs> I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know.
0: Happy New Year, Hannah. <laughs> Happy New Year, Deanna. <laughs> I feel like such a fraud saying... That because of all of the events of the last fucking week. But
1: uh, I don't know what you're talking about. It's not like we had a failed coup, um, violent insurrection that happened in our own U.S. Capitol or anything.
0: Yeah, it's not like that happened.
1: That people are now justifying somehow.
0: It really like it never fucking ends. Like there's always some reason that it wasn't. Uh, A bad thing (laughs) or that like wasn't
1: unjustified,
0: wasn't unjustified. Like, I keep seeing all these people who are like, if you impeach Trump, you're going to, you know, make his followers riot again. And it's like they're already planning on doing that. What are you talking about? There is no
1: preventing that. (laughs) That's just going to happen. I'd rather still impeach Trump and make sure he can't run for office again. That's my biggest concern. And that he doesn't get his retirement money. From my fucking tax dollars. I can't. Yeah. I can't. This, that fucking egocentric piece of shit doesn't deserve another fucking penny from me. No. He's already spent all of
0: our fucking money on a border wall and Mar-a-Lago. <clears throat> you know? I don't know. And just, like, I just keep thinking about what other countries are thinking and and feeling right now i know there are a lot of investigations uh, you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: e- external foreign investigations happening right now into whether you know those countries believe that we've had um a fascist coup uh in attempt and it's gonna determine whether or not they impose sanctions on us and shit like that people don't realize that that's happening that it's not just about what we think and what we feel, but other countries are looking at us, too. Anyway, that's the but new But America, <laughs> America first. America first.
1: Ah, uh, yeah.
0: Wow. Oh, you can yeah, tell yeah. that that's, that's where we're at. I know that's probably but where... But I'm pretty
1: sure anybody who's listened to a single episode of this podcast has no question about where we stand on any of this, so...
0: Oh, yeah. Those of you who have been with us from the beginning know that this podcast came out of a lot of this rage. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. And it's actually in that spirit that I chose to talk about who I'm talking about today. Oh, really? So I apologize for inciting potentially more rage um, in you
1: and in our listeners. but mm-hmm. I feel like I have my own internal rage and i'm 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 hoping and i'll i'll let you know at the end of recording that maybe yeah. this could be some form of cathartic rage because at least i'm processing it with you in a way
0: i think that at the very least i will be giving a lot of context for mm-hmm. what's happening right now and where it came from oh yes from.
1: ma'am yes so
0: yeah i i think that that is appropriate especially given 2020 and how that was the year of like white women revealing that they're actually way more dangerous than we seem to as a society have given them credit for how insidious their power is yes exactly and so this has a lot to do with that okay (laughs) i think we've mentioned these people i say these people uh, once or twice before, but I can't remember. So tell me if you know of or remember us talking about
1: the daughters of the
0: Confederacy.
1: Yes, we have we have mentioned them. Okay,
0: that's and what I'm talking about. I am familiar,
1: <laughs> having lived in Savannah, Georgia, for a few years. I am familiar of their existence. Oh yeah, there's also daughters of the Revolution which is a cooler, slightly cooler group to be a part of, but still kind of weirdly stuck in the past and um, attached to a lot of weird things. So,
0: Yeah, and that's easy to do, apparently, when you're in those Mm -hmm. historical societies Mm -hmm. um, in the South. But a lot of people don't know who the Daughters of the Confederacy are and were, which is, I think, why we still don't really hear that much about them when we're talking about things like what happened last Wednesday. We don't hear the name uh, United Daughters of the Confederacy, but they're very much a part of what's going on and what has been going on. Mm -hmm. Um, In a bigger way than even I knew, um, I didn't quite realize how much of an influence they've had on a lot of the the goings-on. So I've gotten... Some great information from Wikipedia, Salon. I'm going to be reading pretty heavily from an article in the Daily Beast by Kaylee Holloway. She is somebody who's been involved with lots of different documentaries, and she's a researcher. FacingSouth.com, a really great article from Greg Huffman, another one that I'm going to be reading from quite a bit. And then I wanted to read... The article that got me kind of down this path, which is called What Trump Shares with the Lost Cause of the Confederacy from The New York Times, and Hmm. that article is by Karen L. Cox, who has done most of the really in-depth research on the Daughters of the Confederacy that most of these articles are citing. I see. So before I jump into that, I kind of wanted to define the lost cause myth a little bit because I hadn't really researched this ideology in very much depth, but we kind of know it, I think, you know, vaguely. I think all of us kind of know what it is, but um, from Wikipedia, they define it as the lost cause, is an American pseudo-historical, negationist ideology that advocates the belief that the cause of the Confederate States during the American Civil War was a just and heroic one. This ideology has furthered the belief that slavery was just and moral because it brought economic prosperity. The notion was used to perpetuate racism and racist power structures during the Jim Crow era in the in the American South, and I would say perpetuates them to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, it emphasizes the supposed chivalric virtues of the antebellum South. It thus views the war as a struggle primarily waged to save the Southern way of life and to protect, quote, states' rights, especially the right to secede from the Union. It casts that attempt as faced with, quote, overwhelming northern aggression. At the same time, it minimizes or completely denies the central role of slavery and white supremacy in the build up to an outbreak
1: of the war. Whew. Yeah, <laughs> until very recently and maybe even still. Uh, if you went to a public school in the Deep South, it was taught as the War of Northern Aggression. Whoa. And when you learn about your presidents, Jefferson Davis is on the list of U.S. presidents. You've told me that. Which is insane. Yeah. My my friend in grad school said that that's what she learned is that Jefferson Davis is on the list of taught U.S. presidents in the South. Um, But you actually, it's so funny. We are once again on the same wavelength. Can I just quickly read a tweet that I put on my Instagram story today that is exactly what this is? Yeah. So fun fact, the majority of Southerners who fought and died during the Civil War couldn't even afford slaves. They were just convinced by white aristocracy that black liberation would negatively affect them. If this sounds familiar, well, then I don't know. Girl history has like nine themes. <laughs> Oh, God. It's funny and also terrible. hmm Well, and it's the same how, like, now, and I'll let you jump right in, that because of this stage of sort of particular brand of capitalism that our country is in, they equate wealth to moral value. hmm Because if you are on the poorer end... You're taught that if you work hard and do good things, you will be rewarded. So these poorer people who are Trump supporters somehow have it in their mind that because he is a, quote unquote, rich person, which is also in debate, but he lives as one mm-hmm. um, and likes to think he is one, that he deserves to be there, that he worked hard for it, that he is morally righteous because he has been rewarded financially for it. Yes, Well, and and, those things are intrinsically tied. Yeah. And and the evangelicals
0: who support him most ardently do that because, you know, evangelism is also another word for prosperity gospel. It's like it's this idea that the wealthy among us are the most godly they would not be wealthy if they weren't the most godly because god has rewarded them me. with more wealth and so one of the scams that they run american hysteria has a really really great episode about televangelists that everyone should go listen to if they want to know more about this but the idea is that if you as a parishioner or whatever you i don't know what you call people who attend those churches but if you give money then to the church, a.k.a. these like mm. crazy rich pastors, then you are progressing your ability to see that wealth come back to you. So they like scam all of these people out of their their money Ooh. because the more money you give to these wealthy people who are godly
1: the more you're going to see God's... God has rewarded. Mm-hmm. And if you are you are contributing to God's chosen ones. Yes. Then you're clearly also good and God might notice you and reward you too. Exactly.
0: And so that's a big part Ooh, of why. Fucked. Oh, yeah. It's really, really fucking smart. And those are the people who love him the most. And that's why whenever you hear someone say Trump is a godly man, that's why they think that. Because God would not have rewarded him with all that wealth if he wasn't.
1: God wouldn't have rewarded him by being born into a wealthy family? Well, you and I know the fucking truth.
0: So, this is obviously, like, crazy in-depth, complicated shit. But the Daughters of the Confederacy is really where so much of this stuff originates. Um, but, so this article by Karen Cox, the researcher who has done a lot of research on the Daughters, um, Wrote an article, I think it came out on the 8th, so two days after the failed coup, about, uh-huh. um, about that, about what it means and what it signifies. And I thought it was a really good way to kind of get us into a, an understanding of where we are right now and then go back. So mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. I'll dive
0: into that. Wednesday morning... President Trump urged a crowd of supporters who showed up in Washington, D.C. to, quote, walk down to the Capitol and protest the certification of the election taking place nearby on Pennsylvania Avenue. A few hours later, he stood in the White House Rose Garden to deliver a different message after members of this same group, who carried flags bearing his name, stormed the Capitol, brawled with Capitol Police and, as we know now, killed two police officers, um, and breached both chambers of Congress. The Blue Lives Matter crowd. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Trump repe- repeated false claims about election fraud, but told them, "You have to go home now. We have to have peace. I love you." As individuals, and you're carried- very special, <laughs> and you're very special. As individuals carried the flag of the Confederacy, the flag of rebellion against the United States into the Capitol, it was a moment not lost on historians and a moment of dire concern for most Americans. Mr. Trump's feeble message to his stalwarts about going home and keeping the peace was similar in tone to General Robert E. Lee's admonitions in the aftermath of Confederate defeat. I think it wiser, he wrote, not to keep open the sores of war, but to follow the examples of those nations who endeavored to obliterate the marks of civil strife. Lee was referring to the creation of monuments, but he was essentially telling those who admired him to, quote, go home and keep the peace. Yet by the time he made those comments in 1869, the myth of the lost cause, as we've discussed, and its justifications for Confederate defeat were in full flower. And it was Lee, not President Jefferson Davis, whom many white Southerners blamed for their loss, that helped to personify the narrative of a just cause. He was a leader who had not failed the white South. Rather, he had been failed by others. He was also the man they believed best represented the values of their cause. Mr. Trump's lost cause mirrors that of Lee's. His dedicated followers do not see him as having failed them, but as a man who was failed by others. Mr. Trump best represents their values, like those of white supremacy, and the cause he represents is their cause too. Just as Lee helped lead and sustain the Confederacy over four years, Mr. Trump has also been a sort of general in a campaign of disinformation. And if there was ever a campaign of disinformation, the lost cause was it. The Confederacy, the lie went, failed only because of the North's superior numbers and resources, but it went further than that. As Edward Pollard, the Richmond editor who coined the term lost cause, wrote in 1866, the Confederates have gone out of this war, he wrote, with the proud, secret, dangerous consciousness that they are the better men and that there was nothing wanting but a change in a set of circumstances and a firmer resolve to make them victors. This constitutes oh. another parallel to the movement Mr. Trump has created. Under a change in circumstances, a.k.a. overturning the election, um, the results of the election, the better man would have won. This is the dangerous consciousness of Trump's supporters. Like Lee's lost yeah. cause, it will not likely end. When Lee died just five years after the Civil War, the myths around Confederate defeat and efforts to memorialize it were growing exponentially throughout the South. The lost cause did not belong to Lee. Lee belonged to the lost cause, a cultural phenomenon whose momentum could not be stopped. Even if Trump were to remove That's himself- depressing. I know. Even if Trump were to remove himself from public life in the coming years, his lost cause and the myths he's helped create about elections, voter fraud, and fake news will likely continue, a cultural and political phenomenon that shows no sign of ending. Like the original Lost Cause, today's movement has been aided and abetted by the president's field generals, many of them Republican members of Congress. They espouse the same language, oh boy. stoke the same flames, and perpetuate the same myths, all to incite a base of voters to keep them in office. Uh, It also ensures that the sores of war received in battle to restore white supremacy in the face of an increasingly diverse polity not only remain, but become gaping wounds that fester with racism, sexism, homophobia and nativism.
1: Yeah, that was one of the things that uh, stood out to me specifically in reference to this podcast was a photograph that a journalist took from inside the Capitol of there was a, a room with many shelves of books about women in politics, and they completely destroyed that room because, of course, they are also misogynists. Fascinating.
0: I did not know that. Wow. It was really,
1: I thought, I thought exactly of this podcast. hmm Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> and I know there were women there, but I know that it's overwhelmingly male, and I know that I've read pieces about dissatisfied female alt-right people and how unlistened to they are being in their own movement. That's like, what What did you expect? Yeah. What did you, like. <laughs> I know. And it's crazy because. Unless you look like Tommy Laren, nobody cares right. what you have to say. Exactly. And they really, like, they
0: also don't care. Like, they are also misogynists. That's the stupidest thing about it is oh, it's yeah. like, you guys don't believe in rights for women either. You women don't believe yeah. in, in women's rights. Or that women should be politicians or business people or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why you're shocked. Definitely not president. Yeah. (laughs) I mean,
1: God. We could start a war on our periods, even (sighs) though most women who are of an age to be president at this current juncture are long past menopause. But, you know, let's not even get into the argument that women could start wars on their periods. My God. Yeah, that's that's like the wandering womb thing.
0: I mean, which is just all nonsense. Old
1: fashioned. That's like ancient Greece bullshit. Yep. Anyway, Um, so it
0: goes it goes on, but it ends with the constant refrain coming from Republican leaders is that the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol is not who we are. And yet, how else are we to explain what happened? If it is not who we are, then all members of both parties should reject this 21st century lost cause. But too many Republicans haven't, and unless they do, its impact will last for generations.
1: Right. That's, that's the exact, like, contradictory bullshit that's been driving me nuts. It's like, this isn't who we are, when those same politicians literally moments before either spoke at the rally or tweeted before the rally and mirrored the same fucking language that incited yeah. it in the first place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that what it's we're really- we are, yeah. What we're not talking about is like, this is who we are and why that is who we are. Like the idea of the Confederacy, I- it hasn't ever died. And yet we don't right. really say that word very much anymore, even though that's what mm. these people believe. They are not patriots to the United States of America. They're patriots to the Confederacy. And, yeah. you know, that's what they mean when they say they're yeah. patriots. We just don't ask them. Yeah, We don't say, what are, you, what are you talking about? We don't ask them what it is they want. We just call them, you know, crazy. But if we actually got them to fucking say it, we might have a better understanding of how as a nation and as like news media and politicians to approach like undoing it or getting rid of it finally. But like, you know, we've been in the same civil war for 150 years. It's never gone away.
1: It's just gone underground. I mean, human behavior. Is is fairly predictable when you look throughout history. Like, that's what I found super compelling. I don't know if you saw Michael Bennett's speech on the Senate floor after uh-uh. the, um, he's a, a Senator for Colorado for people who don't know. Um, and he, he was saying how much it struck him that people don't know history and that the fall of the Roman empire was like predicated by gangs of roving, violent uh, uh, thugs who were working on behalf of politicians to prevent votes from being counted or cast. And following that came a dictator and Uh. then the fall of Rome. Yep. Yep. And he just, he, he just kept, he kept harping on that. And, and the notion he was like, not a single Senator in this room, Republican or Democrat thinks that this election was rigged or, or falsified. Go tell your fucking constituents that it's a conspiracy theory and they're wrong. Tell them the truth. Yeah. That's your job as the leader. Yeah. Stop inciting them and and feeding fire to bullshit just because it's politically advantageous. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about why it's
0: politically advantageous. I mean, that's what so much of the Daughters of the Confederacy are about, Um. Yes. Making lies politically advantageous. Um, Actually, I went to their website because they are still active, by the way. They are a nonprofit organization. um, If you can fucking believe that. I can. But their website uh, says (laughs) that... um, I went to the About page. So... The General Organization of the United Daughters of the Confederacy was founded in Nashville, Tennessee on September 10th, 1894 by Ms. Caroline Merriweather Goodlett of Tennessee and Mrs. Lucian H., or Anna Davenport in parentheses, uh, Reigns of Georgia as co-founder. I'm not really... I, I thought about talking about individual women in this organization and I decided not to because I, I thought that, honestly, I didn't want to humanize them. But also, I just felt like talking about what the organization as a whole is responsible for was more impactful at this current moment in time. Yeah. So I'm yeah. not going to talk about them well, and ever it, again. And because <laughs> it is
1: greater than one woman. Yes. In this yes. particular instance. And while I do think it is important, even for women that are not, great um (laughs) humanizing them helps us to recognize that evil comes from normal people yeah and there were a lot there were a lot of humans in this organization because i'm sure all things aside under different circumstances there are many people who were probably at that uh insurrection that if I just met him in a bar and had a conversation, assuming it didn't go into politics, which if they've been brainwashed by QAnon and bullshit, it probably would have. But again, under different circumstances, even if we disagreed, we would get along for an hour at a bar, and mm-hmm. it would be fine. But I'm also a cisgendered white woman, so
0: you know. Well, and and white women, I think that <laughs> like I think that part of this organization, what they have counted on for the last 150 years, is the fact that society, you know, tm has viewed white women <laughs> as like the ultimate human in so many ways. White women are pure. They are sweet. They're kind. They're, you know, doting. They're good wives. They're domestic. They're domestic. They're this, that and the other thing. They could never be vicious. They could never be clever. They could never be any of of those things. So everything they do must come from a place of purity. Right. This like pure white woman thing. And so when Mm -hmm. when we talk about the the United Daughters of the Confederacy, most people really are thinking, at least historically, have looked at them and gone, oh, they could be my mother or my sister. They probably bake cookies. They're toothless. You know, yeah. They all of this is for the greater good. It's for our children. And the, They're just prettifying the city. Yeah. I mean, the the number of so I did like I did look into several of these women on Wikipedia and they're described as philanthropists and educators and activists. And that just—I
1: guess none of that's untrue, except for it's only for certain people. They right. educate certain people. They're philanthropists to certain people. They're activists right. for certain people.
0: And so that was a big part of why I decided not to, just because like I think we uber humanize white women already. And sure, the point fair. is that that's like fair. them as an organization, this organization is like white women tm i'm gonna use that again i feel like it's appropriate but it's like they're like white women tm and it just i think that says what it what it needs to say um so the udc was incorporated under the laws of the district of columbia on july 18th 1919 As stated in the Articles of Incorporation, the objectives of the society are historical, benevolent, educational, memorial, and patriotic, and include the following goals. To honor the memory of those who served and those who fell in the service of the Confederate States. To protect, preserve, and mark the places made historic by Confederate valor. To collect and preserve the material for a truthful history of the war between the states to record the part taken by southern women in war between the states uh-huh in patient okay. endurance of hardship and patriotic devotion during the struggle and in untiring efforts after the war during the reconstruction of the south to fulfill the mm-hmm. sacred duty of benevolence toward the survivors and toward those dependent upon them to assist descendants of worthy worthy confederates in securing proper education and finally, to cherish the ties of friendship among the members of the organization.
1: And that's on their website.
0: And that's that,
1: that's that humanizing shitty, thing. humanizing weird last bullet point. It's to make them. That I think undercuts everything. Yeah, well, that's the point. It's to make them seem toothless. It's like, uh-huh. oh, they just want to have their friend group. Right. They're just friends. They just, you know. We just want to go to church and bake together. Isn't that great?
0: Baking sounds fun. I mean, baking is fun, Mm
1: -hmm, but, you know,
0: that's not what they're doing. Well, maybe they're probably doing that a little bit, but.
1: They're doing all that and more. (laughs) Women are multifaceted creatures. (laughs) So that's directly from their website, you know, that
0: I got this morning. That's and that's how they express it. Um, But I really thought that um, Kaylee Holloway, expressed the reality of their mission and their history a lot better in the article that she wrote for the Daily Beast and Salon. So I'm going to just go ahead and dive into um, what she wrote, because I just think it's really excellent. And I'll get into a little bit of Greg Huffman's article in the middle here. So she writes, since the UDC's founding in 1894... The elite white Southern ladies group has dedicated itself to erecting Confederate monuments around the country, and in more recent years, quietly ensuring that those markers remain standing. They have been the single most effective propagandists for the lost cause myth, an alternative fact- an alternative fact-ridden version of history that denies slavery as the central cause of the Civil War while also insisting that slavery was a mutually beneficial institution, a win-win for both slavers and the
1: enslaved. I cannot believe that that is in any way a, a considered a valid argument for anyone in modern times. Mm -hmm. it it was here's the thing is that it wasn't even acceptable then there were people like the quakers who were like this is fucking bullshit are you kidding me
0: i know the quakers fucking knew
1: like there's an episode a few episodes i think it might be like a five part i think the dollop does on someone a man named john brown who i believe was a like I don't think he, maybe he was a Quaker, but he was fucking violent as shit, but a super abolitionist and a white man back in the day, back when Kansas entered the fold and they were trying to determine if it was going to be a slave state or not. (laughs) Anyway, it's great, infuriating, continue, sorry, (laughs) but like, but that's, I'm just saying like, even today, I can't believe anyone could argue it was mutually beneficial like that's no humans relationships with dogs is mutually beneficial well but what do you think they saw black people as (laughs) no that's my point yeah yeah it's so why would you why would why would you
0: i (laughs) you're it's gonna get 10 times worse (laughs) all All right. right Are you a good witch?
1: Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming
0: a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. Oh
1: no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the
0: more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like
1: that, please become a patron so that that we can start creating that content for you also when you become a patron you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air how exciting is that
0: very exciting yeah yeah you can find us at patreon.com slash podcast just to remind you guys that racial slur that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode is coming up here. UDC textbooks have taught generations of Southern children that the Confederacy, a nation whose founders were unequivocal about its cornerstone being white superiority and black enslavement, was actually a valiant and valorous cause. So for those of you who don't know what the cornerstone speech is i looked it up so i could read it to you it was a speech given by confederate vice president alexander h stevens in savannah georgia in 1861 in which he said its foundations are laid its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the negro i'm very sorry is not equal to the white man that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition this our new government is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical philosophical and moral truth
1: so they say it oh oh oh, moral truth Uh uh-huh moral truth Uh uh-huh i i feel so disappointed with humanity in general that we ever reached a point where we thought that there was one type of human who was inherently and morally superior to another type of human, like just broad strokes.
0: Well, and that's not over. I mean, those are the people who, who had their failed coup last week.
1: But then the thing is, and I don't believe these are comparable. So that's not, this is not the point I'm trying to make. It's like, they see quote unquote, elitist intellectuals as disenfranchising them by making them feel like they are inferior to them but again that's more about feelings and less about any intellectual actually advocating for that Um, maybe anyone is probably a bad thing to say but as a group people who are educated are more likely to be like no there's nothing that qualifies one human as inherently better than another yep
0: (laughs) I know. Um, so back to Kaylee. That's liberal
1: indoctrination.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, which is intrinsically like wrapped up in in the way they view race and all of that stuff. I mean, elitist is often a a euphemism for like person of color or you know, educated. Uh, a lot of times know. it's Jewish. Yes, exactly. Jewish. I mean,
1: it's to their to it, their mind.
0: Yeah, it doesn't just mean liberal politics. It means people who look a specific way. It's just become another word for what they're actually. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, despite its influence, the United Daughters of the Confederacy is rarely name-checked in national discussions about Confederate monuments overtly celebrating white supremacy. Quote, their name is on all their monuments, but maybe because those plaques are rusty and faded, people don't realize the UDC is still a functioning organization, says Heather Redding, an organizer with Hillsborough Progressives Taking Action, a North Carolina chapter of Indivisible. For the past two years, they and other local anti-racist organizations have protested, the North Carolina's UDC chapter annual gathering in Durham. They meet regularly, she says. They collect dues. They have scholarships, which I did check. Their website has like 25 scholarships listed. Um, They're a nonprofit that gets tax breaks. Basically, she says, they're white supremacists hiding. That's a hard word to say, apparently. White supremacists hiding in plain sight. And that's particularly frustrating because they parade around like an innocent historical group that just does community service.
1: Yeah, presumably there aren't any women of color in this group.
0: No <laughs> I don't think they would let women of color in
1: Yeah. Well, and isn't I could be way wrong, because they have to have some sort of like recruitment, but isn't it, like, more prestigious if it's, like, I'm a direct descendant of someone who fought in the Confederate War?
0: These days, yeah, there is a for, lot of, Fought for like, the
1: Confederacy?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of, well, my grand great-grandfather was so-and-so, and so that's why
1: it's important well, uh, to me. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but in digging into my ancestry, I learned that my family that was here around that time were prisoners of war and were fighting for the Confederacy. Yeah, So I guess I could probably... Be like, hey, and be like a, a secret spy on the inside. Be like, I'm a direct descendant of somebody who fought for the Confederacy. Oh my god. And fuck I fuck you, burn it to the ground.
0: I wonder <laughs> Not speaking literally. of burning it to the ground, Figuratively, someone, someone did set one of their buildings on fire a couple years ago, which I find kind of hilarious, but anyway. Mm-hmm. The UDC sponsored more than four hundred and fifty monuments buildings, plaques, and other tributes to the Confederacy. Though its influence has always been most pervasive in the South, members spread the lost cause to parts uh, to parts north of the Mason-Dixon line and west of the Mississippi yeah. River. This is, mm-hmm. I didn't know this, but a 1912 UDC plaque in Brooklyn commemorating Robert E. Lee was only removed last year, which I think by the time this article came out would have been three years ago for us. Um, a road the group named for the Confederate general remains in that borough, and it's, the, it's Fort Hamilton uh, next Seattle's to Bay Seattle's only Confederate monument was erected by the UDC and not Crazy. incidentally cool. carved from a 10-ton block of Stone Mountain, Georgia, where the KKK held its 1915 rebirth ceremony. Even Arlington National Cemetery has a UDC Confederate memorial erected in 1914 on Confederate President Jefferson Davis's birthday. It features a crying black mammy figure, a white baby under her arm, and another tugging at her apron. Yikes. So what's crazy That's is like... That's real cringe. We've been having these, like, these national fights over these Confederate monuments which were largely erected by these white southern women and we've I rarely see their name in those articles and in those fights and the the effect is huge and so long
1: lasting well a lot of those monuments went up in like Jim Crow time right yes yes the they did the majority of Confederate monuments Went up just before and during the civil rights movement of, like, the 1960s.
0: Yep. Yeah, they went in <laughs> post-World War I, between World War I ending and um, the Civil Rights Act being enacted, basically. Woof! Most of the UDC's monuments were erected long after the Civil War, Between the 1910s and the 1950s, effectively monumentalizing white racial resentment during the eras of Jim Crow and the Civil Rights Movement, uh, in periods of epidemic anti-black racist violence and intimidation, UDC Confederate markers were visible symbols of white terror, and they still are. Ladies, ladies' memorial associations formed immediately after the Civil War in battle-ravaged, economically wasted towns across the South. Uh, "Quote: They were yeah, it's a great way
1: to spend oh. your money, ladies.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, during
1: Reconstruction.
0: <laughs> I mean, good fucking God, like that's what you and they were, of course, as as you're implying, they were wealthy primarily or upper middle class. Mm-hmm. Like these were women with money. Um." And yeah, they were trying to honor the Confederate dead at a time when surviving Confederate veterans could not wear their uniforms in public, could not be involved politically, and could not hold political office, says Jelaine Schmidt, a professor at the University of Virginia, an organizer for the Charlottesville, Virginia chapter of Black Lives Matter. In an era when the white South was still demoralized by their Civil War loss, these white Southern women, many of them from wealthy prominent families, set about doing the work of decorating the fallen. Yep. Yeah. At the end of Reconstruction, that brief period when federal intervention made racial equality in the South seem possible, the North pulled its troops out of the South, leaving formerly enslaved Black people to fend for themselves. Power was again assumed by white Southern men. Karen Cox writes in C's Daughters, which is the book she wrote about this. Um, and the Lost Cause agenda truly took shape, focusing less on bereavement and more on celebrating the virtues of the Confederacy. Yeah. <laughs> in the 1890s, the UDC coalesced from disparate... Um, LMA chapters, what did I say that was? Ladies Memorial Associations. Um, coalesced from disparate Ladies Memorial Association chapters throughout the South and undertook what is today known as a vast rebranding program. Humiliation was transformed in honor uh, into honor in a rewriting of Civil War history that pitted a fictionalized Southern agricultural paradise against a Northern industrialized Goliath. Kaylee Holloway is a great writer. With the war on the battlefield long lost, the UDC aimed its sights on a cultural win. Schmidt says, the um, organizer, The memorial associations had been seen as doing women's work, tending to the dead, remembering the lost, bringing flowers to graves. It was seemingly innocent work confined to graveyards. But the Trojan horse factor comes in when the UDC started taking this form of memorialization, which had been saved for the grieving, out into the public square. So they basically Mm. took everything that they had been doing in the cemetery and took it into the public space. And that's when we see the start of Confederate propagandizing. The UDC moves from memorializing in cemeteries to monumentalizing in public spaces. And what these monuments did and were designed to do is race public spaces as white. Which I had never thought about it in that context, but that makes so much sense that you're basically erecting a monument to a movement that was inherently about enslaving black people in order to say black people aren't welcome here. Like this is we won. This is our space. This is a white space. Hmm. Um. Yeah, so the UDC chose to erect many monuments in close proximity to legislative and judicial power centers, which is why so many Confederate markers are today located near courthouses and on state capitol grounds. A reminder to yes. black folks that white institutions are not there to serve their interests. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um around the start I'm of I'm just trying so hard not to go on tangents of rage.
0: <laughs> you can <laughs> Because can't. you already
1: said you had a lot to get through and I'm like mm. if if you wanted to be
0: a two parter well I'm actually going through this pretty quick to be honest with you. So
1: No, it's good. You know. I I think you should you should get it all out there and yeah. I'm just uh, I was <laughs> I was about <laughs> to say and this can this can stay out. It's like, oh, like the US Capitol <laughs> not working for people of color, and the the forces that protect it not working for people of color, but working beautifully for white people?
0: I mean, I feel like this is really where a lot of, like, legislators got the idea that they didn't have to legislate for anyone other than white people, or at least it's one of the places that they got that idea, that, like, when they're walking into their courthouse and they see this beautiful Robert E. Lee statue, like, they know... This place isn't for black people, so they don't even have to really worry about that.
1: You know? And I truly don't understand how they couldn't get the sort of comparison of like, imagine if if Germany erected statues of Hitler after the, the fucking Holocaust happened. Do you think that we that they're forgetting that their history by not erecting a monument to it? Yeah, but you know what Germany did that and we glorified? didn't do?
0: Like, after after the Civil War, we never, ever started implementing education that said, hey, this was wrong.
1: The North pulled out of especially, the South. Especially the the folks that were getting educated in the South. Right. I mean, everybody just kind of went, okay, we'll just
0: pretend like none of that ever happened. And like, that's fine, right? I love
1: that they use the word patriotism because it's what you were saying earlier in their, like, sort of mission statement of, like, celebrating the patriotism of traitors to the country. Yeah.
0: But not if they think the Confederacy is the real government.
1: Yeah, but that's not how that works. If you're rebelling <laughs> against a government of the nation, no one said it made sense. Creating your new government <laughs> is sedition. Like that's not. Ooh. Yeah, it's so. Oh, God. Ah.
0: so around the start of World War One, UDC membership hit a peak of one hundred thousand members. In no kidding. Mm-hmm. In addition to erecting cheap, mass-produced statues from Yankee manufacturers, apparently at an astonishing clip, which just like I think g- continues to express how much the North actually like didn't care. They just didn't care. You know, it wasn't like whatever makes them yeah, happy. Yeah, fine. We don't want to
1: fight anymore.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the UDC in this era was venturing into uncharted public relations territory for the t- for the first time. In 1923, the UDC successfully lobbied the U.S. Senate to build a Washington, D.C. monument, quote, in memory of the faithful slave Mammies of the South.
1: What? Yeah. S- what? Uh, okay. They were trying to... I I I assume they must have tried to frame it as a complimentary thing. They wanted it to they
0: wanted to show But it's not. Yeah, they wanted to show how happy
1: um slaves and dedicated. were. Yes, yeah. and dedicated and and just We loved them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you should. They raised your fucking kids. And still do like They're basically a subservient member of the family fun right yeah
0: they lobbied the u.s senate to have that memorial erected and thankfully the project died but they had the green light on it from the fucking u.s government and uh they did succeed in putting up other loyal you know quote loyal slave um statues elsewhere bolstering the sinister lost cause lie that black people had been content in bondage Uh, the group also put some serious effort into lauding and normalizing the KKK, which in the 20s, um, 10s and 20s were also experiencing a membership explosion. Oh, Um, yeah, that was like
1: a huge time.
0: Yeah, big, big time. And Heidi Christensen, former president of the Seattle UDC chapter, who apparently she quit in 2012, um for all, because of she realized all of this shit but she says the UDC always had ties to the Klan, but the connection became more overt in the 1910s what yeah what who so how Weird. could you even tell you've got birth of a nation the super duper racist w was it w D W Griffith um basically this like blackface civil war Horrifying. epic yeah it was terrible um so you had that come out you had the second rising of the clan and you see the udc openly revering the kkk and defending them as saviors of the white southern race during reconstruction those things made it clear that they were loyal to the clan and saw them as heroes and in some ways the udc was sort of like the kkk's more feminine genteel sister organization This is coming from a former member. So she knows. Like, she has all the fucking tea. In 1916, Los Angeles UDC leader Annie Cooper Burton penned a book simply titled The Ku Klux Klan that encouraged every UDC division to get, quote, a memorial tablet dedicated to the Ku Klux Klan. UDC, quote, historian Laura Martin Rose wrote a book in 1914 called The Ku Klux Klan or Invisible Empire, which reads like KKK fan fiction, brimming with swooning passages about the Klan's knack for racially terrorizing black people. Rose justifies that terror by leaning into the... Yeah, they're great at that. Yeah. They have a knack for it, that's for sure. Knack is a great word for it. She justifies that terror by leaning into the racist lie about the need to violently protect the sanctity of white womanhood.
1: Uh Uh-huh. I just, I I just, I can't. Thank you. And also this idea, it's, it's inherently misogynistic too. Because it's, like, making this implication that women can't protect themselves and that women need white knights, literally in this case, to, to make sure that they stay pure and untouched and, you know, like, whatever. Like, fuck, man. It means that women are weak and stupid and can't do anything for themselves. And then it's also racist, which is even worse. Yeah. and it, Well, I wouldn't it, say even worse. It's even worse that it's both. Yes, what I meant. And it, I'm not going to like misogyny and racism. Pretty bad all around. It benefits
0: organizations like this because it, it perpetuates that myth about, you know, white womanhood so that they can continue to do this crazy, sinister shit without anyone even bothering to look at them. You know? Oh, my God. uh, Like, it serves a purpose for them. Yep. The UDC's endorsement of pro-Confederate textbooks and bans of those that didn't promote the lost cause would ultimately shape Southern education and historical memory for generations. That effort started almost immediately after the group's establishment, when members began promoting textbooks for schoolchildren, such as Susan Pendleton Lee's Advanced School History of the United States. That book, that 1895 book concluded the upside of slavery was that hundreds of thousands of African savages, love that word, were civilized and Christianized and suggested perks included being, quote, fed, clothed, lodged, and cared for better than any other menial class on the
1: globe, end quote. Yeah. Yeah. And textbooks, even in in the 90s, as we've discussed, still had language somewhat akin to that. Not mm -hmm. somewhat. It fucking was akin to that. Yeah. And can you imagine being a black American student, reading that kind of fucking book, and being indoctrinated yourself with that information? Right.
0: Never knowing that that wasn't true. (sighs) I know. So I do want to go to Greg Huffman's article for a minute here because he talks more in depth about the textbook thing. Um, So he writes, um, and this is from April 2019 in FacingSouth.com, he writes, the poisonous lost cause lessons were taught to multiple generations of Southerners to uphold institutionalized white supremacy, in part through public school curriculums shaped by the United Daughters of the Confederacy. More famous these days for their controversial Confederate monuments, the UDC had an almost singular focus on making sure the Lost Cause propaganda was so ingrained in the minds of Southern youth that it would be perpetual. Their most effective tool? School textbooks. Good job. I mean, they did it. They did it. They succeeded. They got what they wanted. Good job, ladies. Um, The Constitution of the UDC's North Carolina division, for example, said the group aimed to ensure that, quote, the portion of American history relating to the Civil War shall be properly taught um, in the public schools of the state and to use its influence towards this object in all private schools. That bare-bones concept was given flesh by Division President Mrs. I.W. Faison at the group's annual convention in Wilmington, North Carolina in 1909. She said, We must see that the correct history is taught our children and train them, not in hatred, not in in hatred towards the North, who differed from us, but in knowledge of true history of the South in the war between the states and the causes that led up to the war, so that they will be able to state facts and prove that they are right in the principles for which their fathers fought and died and continue to preserve... Heritage,
1: not hate, Hannah.
0: uh, uh Uh-huh. And continue to preserve and defend their cause until the whole civilized world will come to know... That our cause was just and right. There is an expression often used by our people known as the lost cause. Let us forget such, for it is not the truth. No, our cause was not lost because it was not wrong.
1: <laughs> Can I just get a time machine and go deck this woman in the
0: face? And every woman at this convention who they're like literally just there to talk about textbooks? Can you imagine? I mean, violence they... is
1: not the answer. Fuck you. Fuck
0: you. They Oof. were organized. Like they organized about this shit. I mean insidious. they were Insidious. It's insidious. Um a few years earlier. My words. Well, and it describes this so well. It describes this whole organization and everything they did and, and propagated so well. I mean, it's insidious. They're insidious. And they knew it. Ugh. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So a few years earlier, national UDC president Mrs. James A. Ruinsville um, put it this way at the group's annual convention in Charleston, South Carolina. It has ever been the cherished purpose of the Daughters of the Confederacy to secure greater educational opportunities for Confederate children and by thorough training of their powers of mind, heart and hand, render it possible for these representatives of our Southern race to retain for that race its supremacy in its own land. Yeah. Okay. (sighs) So, the (laughs) the UDC's propaganda campaign utilized other tools, to be sure. In 1932 alone, the North Carolina Division placed 183 portraits of Confederate figures in the state's public schools, along with 206 Confederate flags. The following year, it was 865
1: flags. I cannot believe that anybody in the United States, the Union, allowed Confederate flags to still be put in public spaces. Let alone just be put anywhere. Period. Total ego.
0: We just thought, oh, it'll. It doesn't matter. It's so small. It's so tiny. It's just like a. It's a let small. Let them portion have their of little people. flag. It's fine. Yeah. Totally, just like total arrogance to think that that was never going to come back that way.
1: Um, I think it's still a crime in Germany to have Nazi propaganda or like the Nazi flag or where the, 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 what the, the swastika. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a crime. It's a fucking Punishable. crime. <laughs>
0: Ugh. Um, but the UDC's primary focus was on ensuring that Southern schools used only those history books loyal to the lost cause. In 1919, the Rutherford Committee, a committee on education made up of UDC members and headed by an educator named Mildred Lewis Rutherford, they published a 23 page pamphlet called A Measuring Rod to Test textbooks, and reference books in schools, colleges, and libraries. Written by Mildred Rutherford herself, it was the committee's set of standards for what was acceptable in a history textbook, the lost cause mythology distilled into accessible bullet points and blurbs, backed by cherry-picked quotes from professors, politicians, newspapers, and period speeches. The brochure advised school administrators charged with vetting textbooks— to reject books that didn't accord full justice to the South. Her list of mandates included, (laughs) one, reject a book that calls a Confederate soldier a traitor, a rebel, and the war a rebellion. Two, reject a book that says the South fought to hold her slaves. Three, reject a book that speaks of the slaveholder as cruel or unjust to his slaves. I'm sorry? And lastly, at least last of the examples here, reject any book that glories Lincoln and vilifies Jefferson Davis.
1: Ironic, since that's all the Republican Party wants to do now. <laughs> we can't be racist. We're the party of Lincoln. Crazy. But that's, that's all a smokescreen. I'm screaming so much. I'm so sorry, Ben. <laughs> oh, God.
0: So the brochure also advised Southern librarians to vandalize books in their own collections that did not adhere to these rules by writing, quote, unjust to the South on the title page. This method of vetting history books became common practice in Southern schools from the 1920s through the late 1970s. White Southern children as well as their black peers, who inherited old textbooks when whites had no more use for them, were steeped in the myths and delusions of white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The bottom line for national book publishers was that they had decisions to make if they wanted to sell books to Southern schools. Go all in with Lost Cause Dogma and be able to sell the book only in the South, or have two versions of the same book. (laughs) You're giving me that two versions. (laughs) Gee,
1: in the capitalist society, I wonder which one of those is going to win out. Yep. Two versions of the same book. One with carefully worded, watered-down history
0: for the South, and another one with historical facts for everyone else. Obviously, we just discussed it was the latter choice. Um, They did both versions. This also meant that the books covering only state history tended to have a local author and a local publisher and a stronger lost cause bias. Um, And an aggressive... Like a snake eating its own tail. Uh Uh-huh. An aggressive equivalency between indentured servitude and slavery was drawn in a UDC textbook favorite, The History of the United States, by Waddy Thompson, a plantation owner, South Carolina legislator, and former U.S. ambassador to Mexico. For years... Throughout the South and endorsed by the National UDC, Thompson's textbook intentionally mischaracterized indentured servants as white slaves and described enslaved black people as being exceptionally well-treated, perfectly happy, and loyal to their masters.
1: Dude, I remember reading something about that um, when I was uh, in Texas. I think it was like sixth grade. There was still history books that were talking that were basically calling indentured servants white slaves so as Mm -hmm. to somehow i don't know make it seem less bad either way it's all terrible like i don't understand why yeah what
0: happened to black people wasn't that bad because we did it to white people too
1: yeah it sucks being under the heel of i don't know how to you know i'm gonna make money and either being forced into something you don't want to do well i guess you're forced either way but like that's the that's the, where the end of the comparison is it's either literal physical forcing or feeling forced because you have no other option in the turn in, in indentured servitude yeah yeah and but that's it slavery is worse <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I
0: think that like it's that's not even an equivalency I would have even thought to make. But of course, you know, they're saying uh, rather than like grant black people any sort of equality in the present time, they say, well, we've always been equal. We've always been treated equally. White people were slaves just like black people. And there have been free black people and free white people. It's all the same. You already have equality. It's fine. We always treated I you the hate, same as I we as we hate treated when you us. Use
1: those you the general you the world use <laughs> right. those kinds of comparisons to somehow um, imply that it's that it's fine because we're equal. Mm-hmm. When it's like no, that other thing too. That's a false equivalency that you're making is also shitty and shouldn't make us feel better about either one of those situations.
0: Right. But this is also. How this, about
1: we just address that? It, it's like they're bad.
0: This also creates an argument against reparations, right? Oh because if, if white people were also slaves and they didn't get reparations, then why should we give black people reparations? Right, right. Exactly. So exactly. it all has a purpose. Like it, it's all very specific. Like it means something very specific. And, uh-huh. and it's all even worse when you see this number. That's how many students were enrolled in the South's public elementary and secondary schools between 1889, when the government began counting their students, and 1969, the height of segregationist Jim Crow, according to the U.S. Department of Education. There, they were subjected to the alternate reality of the lost cause, the heroic glory of the Ku Klux Klan, and the victimized white South. Oh my God. So that's 69 million people, at least in the South, who grew up with that as their basis of understanding for (laughs) what happened during the Civil War and after. Mm -hmm. So, uh, the educational aspect of the UDC's efforts wasn't just about textbooks. Um, Karen Cox told Kaylee Holloway. They had a multi-pronged approach to indoctrinating children. It involved going into schools and putting up battle flags and portraits of generals, as we've talked about. It meant getting schools renamed for famous confederates. It was creating the group the Children of the Confederacy. Gosh, what does that sound like? Hmm. Um, This was their formal youth auxiliary. So the UDC could draw membership from the group when they became adults. And children were always involved in the unveiling of Confederate monuments. They would select one child to pull the cord, and then there'd be cheers when the monument was unveiled. Children in the stands would form what they called a living battle flag. And then they sang Southern patriotic songs. Hmm. Yep. Hitler Youth, anyone? What was it? Wasn't there a senator just the other day who said, if there's anything that Hitler got right, it was... Getting children involved. Who was that? Who said that?
1: I forget. Do you but know what I'm talking said, about? Yes. It's it was just the
0: other day. And it's like, Hitler didn't fucking make that up. We did. <laughs> the fucking Confederacy yeah. in the 1910s was doing that. Where do you think he got it? Yeah. So back to um, the Daily Beast article. That misinformation campaign has informed the politics of lawmakers from Strom Thurmond to Jeff Beauregard Sessions. And obviously, since this article is two years old, we have seen a lot more politicians who subscribe to this, um, resulting in policymaking that springs from
1: anti-blackness and Confederate apologia. And now they're, they're so far removed from the inception of this educational, like, insidiousness that even they have themselves convinced that it's not about anti-blackness they think it's not they have
0: subsumed all of the euphemisms and the like like I said patriot means patriot to the confederacy it does not mean patriot to the government it means patriot to confederate ideals which is why whenever you don't want to say anything nice about trump they say you're not a patriot it has nothing to do with the government or or this country and they don't even realize it just like we talked about elitists or elite not actually being about educated people all the all the time
1: right right
0: you know these are these are like keywords and hit words that they've learned and they know on a basic like kind of innate wink wink level what they mean but <laughs> they don't even understand about themselves that everything about what they believe and think is racist <laughs> and comes from a, a KKK loving fucking group of women who just nobody thought to say anything to they were just like oh yeah they're just in their bacon cookies in their confederate group it's fine and really they were establishing the curriculum for the entire southern United States for a hundred years.
1: But they were even more effective in their goals than initially thought because it has spread to the north. Yep. Exactly. And and I I know I've seen it in Michigan, the Confederate mm-hmm. flag places. Idaho. Idaho's big. It's insane. Yeah.
0: To me. Yeah. Yeah, I know. She goes on. She says it's not just politicians. A 25 poll, Clatchy Marist poll. I guess that's a common polling company. They found that 41% of Americans don't believe that slavery happened.
1: That's there's no way. fucking 40... percent. That it happened? That it happened. They just don't.
0: They don't think it was a real thing. It's that whole indentured servitude thing. Like, oh, they came here of their own volition and they were treated super well. It wasn't really a big deal. It wasn't really a thing.
1: Did you know black people sold other black people into slavery? Like that comes up too, and it's. Yep. Yep. Like, what is um, your fucking point? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So really, at the end of the day. It's black people's fault is where that ultimate conclusion leads to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep.
0: So by the UDC's own estimates, current membership stands somewhere around twenty five thousand down today. From the, uh-huh. Okay. Um In 2008, the UDC issued a, quote, reaffirmation of the objectives of the United Daughters of the Confederacy, which began by restating its objectives from the group's 1919 Articles of Incorporation, Historical, Benevolent, Educational, Memorial, and Patriotic, which we'd already read before. But among the Lost Cause rhetoric about Confederate valor and references to the war between the states was an update that makes clear UDC efforts to distance itself from its racist legacy and those who carry it forth. They say, Be it known that the United Daughters of the Confederacy does not associate with or include in its official UDC functions and events any individual, group, or organization known as unpatriotic, militant, racist, or subversive to the United States of America and its flag. And be it further known that the United Daughters of the Confederacy will not associate with any individual, group, or organization identified as being militant, unpatriotic, racist, or subversive to the United States of America and its flag. <laughs> it's fixed <laughs> now. You fixed it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. But, the, but, but that's not even true still. Even as the rest of the country as we've seen over the years, erupted into debates and occasional violence over Confederate monuments, the UDC rarely uh, speak publicly or respond to activists or the media, but they now pursue legal action against anyone trying to take those monuments down. So over the last few years, the the courts have become the primary tool of the UDC in fighting off challenges to their memorials. Um, I didn't put this in my notes, so I can't remember all of the details, but there was one where um, someone, I think it was in Tennessee, they, uh, they were trying to take a memorial down, and the daughters came in and they said, well, we paid for that monument in 1933, and it cost us $51,000 then, and that's the equivalent of like $1.6 so pay up, and they did. They had to fucking pay these people to take the statue down. Um, In August, I think, of 2018, the city of Franklin, Tennessee, filed another... Maybe I was... Maybe the other one was Texas. Um, Anyway, Franklin, Tennessee, filed suit against a local UDC chapter in response to threats of litigation by the group's lawyer. The issue was... Plans by local officials to put up four African American history markers near a UDC Confederate monument in a town square to quote help tell a further story of the Civil War. But oh, the group that <laughs> I thought
1: that they didn't want history erased.
0: Uh, the group that says it is about history and heritage, not hate, <laughs> claimed it owned not only the Confederate statue but the entire town square. And threatened lawsuits if the African-Americans history memorials went up anywhere near its Confederate monument.
1: That's insane.
0: Yep. Insidious. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. There are other less grand ways the UDC continues promoting its damaging and dangerous historical lies. Kurt Von Dacki. I don't know. It looks Dutch. Uh, an assistant dean and professor in the history department at the University of Virginia and author of a 2012 book titled Freedom Has a Face, told me in a brief email exchange that the UDC had emailed requesting he come and speak to the group about the happier stories during the time of slavery. He declined.
1: Like, uh, Song of the South?
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. <Yeah. sighs> so... Despite the various ways in which the UDC has contributed to the miseducation of the American public and helped mainstream white racist terror, there's been little public shaming of the group or its members at all. Uh, A recent article by AP reporter Alan Breed notes that the government of Virginia still awards its state branch tens of thousands of dollars for the maintenance of Confederate graves, more than $1.6 million since 1996. Funding to maintain black grave sites from the late 19th century and early 20th century only began in 2017. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) I think many of us have taken an interest in this group because no one else has, Heather Redding says, who we talked about earlier, explaining why she and fellow activists have focused their efforts on the UDC as part of a larger strategy of anti-racist action. She says it doesn't seem like there's been any sort of movement to hold them responsible for the damage they've done and for the way they continue to impede racial reconciliation and healing in this country. Once you 100%. start going down the
1: Yeah.
0: Once you start going down the rabbit hole of looking at their propaganda, it's hard to fathom that this group still exists. And the more you realize how entrenched they are in this false narrative they've constructed, you can't help but hold them accountable for all the damage they've done over the generations. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I feel like this next sentence, so this is my last paragraph, but I feel like this next sentence is like in, totally indicative of what we've been talking about. The whole white women, you know, purity thing. Jelaine Schmidt, that professor, says, I'm sure these ladies are very nice ladies. I'm sure they're doting grandmothers and they love kittens and they are also the great aunt Bettys of folks who are sitting on the city council. So how dare you say she's racist? But that's part of the problem of the normalization. We as a country should have moved beyond this. The fact that these women were able to install monuments that are still here in some cases 100 years later that we can't get rid of. There's just not the political will to remove them in as much as political office uh in as much as political officials don't want to challenge this they're passively allowing this ideology to win and this organization is still winning and that is the end of the daily beast article and i feel like that's a good place to end it um yeah. because that was from 2018 and i think in the last 2 years That last line has been more true than ever.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I think everything that happened Wednesday. The most insidious thing to me is the seed that those women planted like a hundred some odd years ago. Is it? it's eating they're buying their own bullshit now like they're so far removed from that inception and the thought and the sort of brainstorming i'm sure went into making them seem toothless and that this Mm -hmm. is all they're trying to do yep that they now buy it
0: and that's now their daughters and granddaughters yeah i know
1: i know uh, yeah that was a good one (laughs) Han. that was a really important one I know that was American intense listeners. and, I... <laughs> and I'm sure our non-American listeners probably have no idea who they are and now they do. I just find it amazing that a group
0: of white women fucking basically dictated how people in the South have been educated for almost 150 some odd years or maybe it's more like a hundred years and mm-hmm. they've created this crisis we're in like this educational crisis that we're in the way that people believe or don't believe in certain things like that is all because a group of fucking white ladies came together and went "Mm, i don't know the confederacy didn't die like we love the kkk we love the confederacy and we really just want people to know about it and because education is a woman's role they were given fucking free reign to do just that it's really fucking amazing. Yep. The amount of of misogyny and like, well, women aren't capable of doing this and women can't do that and like, how much of that gets perpetuated, especially by people in that mindset and in that area, and yet it's mm-hmm. it's the it's a fucking group of a hundred thousand Betsy Davosses who made this fucking possible. Mm-hmm.
1: And speaking of Michigan, and that is is the most significant thing of all, is when you tell and convince a whole uh, population of people, i.e. these suprem- white supremacists, that women are silly and froppish and can't accomplish anything. We yeah. know from this podcast, especially just how much women have been historically able to accomplish. And this is one of them. And fucking bravo. And fuck you. <laughs> fucking bravo and fuck you
0: i agree i couldn't and on agree that more. note my phone <laughs> is at
1: five percent so all right we probably
0: need to wrap up all right are you excited about anything or like is it just being alive that's enough for you
1: uh i don't really have much right now yeah. that I'm excited for except spending time oh. with this kitten so I'm, it's a recycle but no doesn't she's, matter she's keeping me a, a, afloat
0: I love it so well yeah. go go squish your cat um, everyone who is listening you too should go squish your cat or your dog um, I'm sorry that was an intense one but hopefully we are all more aware of what is really happening and has been happening for a long time and right. uh, You know? Yeah. Go have a drink. Do whatever you need to do. We'll see you next week. Peace out, witches. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you
1: so much for listening. We really appreciate it.
0: Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah
1: Ferguson and we're produced by Benjamin Garst
0: um, you can find us on iTunes
1: Stitcher Spotify Google Play Google Play pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find us there we're also on social media you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook GWBB Podcast you can also email us at gwbbpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it
0: if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at
1: patreon.com
0: slash podcast. <laughs> <laughs> become a patron and help
1: us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe
0: all the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah
1: word of mouth also good yeah (laughs) our website is gwbbpodcast.com you can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron good witches bad bitches is powered by moon Moon Bounce. bounce